A few weeks ago, perhaps even a, more than a month ago, I was preaching here and I started a series which I had done on the book of Philippians. I'd like to continue that with you, the book of Philippians. And in connection with that, I'd like to do a reading from two passages in the second letter of Paul to, to, to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and 2 Timothy chapter 4. If you have a Bible, please open it. It's good to follow along through the readings and also through the text, otherwise it'll be projected above me. 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting at verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here is a trustworthy saying, if we died with him, we should also live with him. If we endure, he will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. And turning forward a few pages to the fourth chapter, we're going to read two verses from chapter four, starting at verse six. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, he says, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but to all those who have longed for his appearing. So far from our reading, let's turn to our text now. Like I said, the letter to the Philippians, we're going to read from verses 12 through to verse 26. Philippians 1, starting at verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others do so out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The most important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I will rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what what shall I choose, I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to be with Christ, which is by far better. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with you all for the progress of your joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound 
on account of me. So far from God's Word, this is the Word of God. Well, in in 1994, a movie was released called Forrest Gump. I'm sure many of you have seen it, many of you have heard it, many of you have watched it, and I'm sure many of you quote the lines from it. And there's a scene there where the main actor, Tom Hanks, is sitting on a park bench, and a bus comes and a bus leaves, and he's sitting on the bench next to a stranger, and he wants to share the advice that his mother gave him with the stranger that's sitting next to him, and Tom Hanks says there, he says... Life is like a box of chocolates. You really have to say it with an accent, but I can't do that. Life is like a box of chocolates, he says. You never know what you're going to get. And I'm sure for those of you that love chocolate, that's a great thing. A whole box of chocolates, how bad can it be? But I'm sure that wasn't the intention of the quote. You see, what this quote was intending was to say, life's full of uncertainties. Life's full of chocolates and some that we like and some that we don't like at all. It's an assortment of of good and bad, of of happiness and sadness, of things that we like and things that we don't like. And I'm sure if we think about the last month here at Mercy Christian Church, I'm I'm sure that reality will come true as we think about it. In the last month, we've been able to celebrate weddings. We've been able to celebrate with those that are welcoming newborns or um, family members into their family. But for other of us who've had to eat chocolate this past month or so that we would rather have avoided, perhaps the chocolates are ones that bring heartache and sorrow. For some of us, it's broken marriages or family that's been torn apart. For some, it's bad health or uncertainty about the future. For some, it's the, the raw pain of losing a loved one so close to them or struggling with depression or the fear of death. You see, it seems like the box of chocolates is either joy in one hand or or struggling on the other hand. And yet the text which you read before us from Philippians, the author there, Paul the Apostle, he seems to have this joy that transcends the situation. It seems like whatever chocolate came out of the box was something that he was joyful about. And this past week we've had to bury, we had the funeral for a dear sister, Rose Rogers, And it struck me listening to her testimonial and watching online to her funeral. Then in some ways, her life was like a box of chocolates in some way. I I found it stark when I listened to her testimonial that for the most of her life, she said, I never learned to smile and laugh. I never learned to smile and laugh, she said. And it wasn't until she later on in life that she did indeed learn to laugh, that she did indeed learn to smile. Most of her life, she was struggling. She had many different struggles. Yet later on in her life, she became connected with with Bob and Peggy. She became connected with the church family. She became connected with Jesus Christ. She came to know and love her Savior. And yet her life was still difficult. She battled with health concerns for all the last part of her life. And yet the beauty of her testimony that she shared was that regardless of the boxes, the chocolates in her box... She was able to live and to die with joy. She learned. She learned what it meant to to live and to smile and to laugh. The question this morning, how? 
How did she learn that? How did she learn to, to, be, to be joyful despite life and death and the suffering around her? How is it possible that she could face death in the face and still maintain joy in the Lord? And this question that she went through, the question that we're wrestling with this morning is something we all have to wrestle with. Is it possible? Is it possible that we can go through sorrows and challenges of life, that we can walk through the darkest valleys and yet still have joy? Is it possible that despite the tears in our eyes and the weeping that we go through and the anguish of our hearts, that we are still able to have a deep satisfaction in who God is and for that to bring joy to our life? Well, Paul knew that. The letter to the apostle, the letter that Paul wrote here is full of joy. He knew what it was to stand on the threshold of death and still say, I have joy. Paul is the one who said, I'm sorrowful, yet I'm always rejoicing. With tears in his eyes and the suffering around him, he said, I remain joyful. For Paul, it wasn't sorrow or joy. He could have these two together. And so this morning, we want to learn from Paul how it is that Paul could remain joyful in life and in death and, and even through the suffering that he went through. That's going to be our theme this morning, how to live with joy. And I'd like to pull three truths from the chapter this morning. Firstly, the joy of working for Christ in life. Secondly, the joy of being with Christ in death. And finding an example, the witnessing of joy, sorry, the joy of witnessing for Christ in suffering. So how to live with joy? Firstly, the joy of working for Christ in life. The joy of working for Christ in life. And that's the first truth that we see as we consider this passage before us from the letter of Paul. Paul says that in my life, it's my greatest joy that I get to work for Jesus Christ. He says that in verse 19, uh, the last part of verse 18, the last few words there, he says, Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. Verse 19, he says, For I know that through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance, he says. In verse 20, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by live, by life or by death. Verse 21, for me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. Paul says in verse 21, in verse 20, he says, I'm confident, I'm sure, he says, that now as always, Christ, Christ will be exalted, Christ will be made great, Christ will be magnified in my body whether I live or whether I pass away, he says. And he echoes the similar words in the book, of the, book to the Corinthians, the first letter. Chapter 10, those well-known words of 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. Paul says to the Corinthian church, he says, So whatever you do, whatever you do in your life, he says, whether you eat, whether you drink, and whatever you do in life, whatever you do for work, whatever you do for leisure, he says, do all for the glory of God. Paul said his life was about making God great, about magnifying his Savior, Jesus Christ. And then in verse 21, we have this, it starts with the word for. You could exchange it for the word because. And what Paul's saying here, the logic that Paul's following is, 
Christ is going to be magnified. Christ is going to be exalted because, he says, for me to live is Christ. The reason that Christ is exalted is because of Paul's life. It's a well-known verse, verse 21. It's, it's one of those verses that put on plaques and get printed on coffee cups. For me, Paul says, to live is Christ. Literally, he says, for me to live, Christ. The word is isn't even there. And Paul wants the people to know. He wants his readers to know and he wants us to know that he's absolutely confident that through Paul's living, through the way that Paul went about his ministry, his everyday task, he did it all to bring glory to Jesus Christ. And let's not be naive about Paul. The Paul we're speaking about is Paul that had a hard life. Paul wrote this book and he was in prison. He was bound to a guard. He was unable, Paul, to go out and do the evangelism work that he wanted to do. Paul said in, in 2, Timothy chapter 2, uh, 2 Timothy 4, he says, My life is being poured out. Don't get Paul wrong, he's going through a hard life. But Paul recognized, Paul knew that the, that the, the sum total of his experiences wasn't what made him joyful. Paul didn't look around his life to find things that gave him joy, whether good or bad. Instead, Paul knew that joy, that joy comes through knowing the person and work of, of Jesus Christ, his Savior. And again, Paul says in another letter of Galatians chapter 2, he pulls exactly those words to the church there. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, he says, I've been crucified with Christ, he says, and I no longer live, but it's Christ. It's Christ who lives in me. So here's Paul living for Christ. Here's Christ living in Paul. That, Paul. that brought Paul great joy. We see in these verses that Paul has this sense of personal joy that was real to him. He says in verse 20, he says in verse 20 that he wants that joy, that joy of seeing Christ exalted through him. But he also continues in verse 22, he said, if I keep on living in the body... This will, remain, remain, uh, sorry, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Living for Christ, being alive, meant that he was able to work for Christ. And that through his work, Christ would be glorified. And that brought Paul immense joy. Seeing his Savior glorified by those around him. And so Paul had work to do. Paul had to fight the good fight. Paul had to finish the race. Paul had to keep the faith. And it's through this that Paul said, I found immense joy in seeing my Savior highly exalted. But it's not only, Paul was not only after his own personal joy. There's an element in this text where Paul says, I want you to have joy as well, he says. In verses 25 and 26, he says, Convinced of this, verse 25, I know that I will remain that I will continue with you all for the progress of your joy, sorry, for, the, for your progress and the joy of your faith, he says. Paul says, I don't want just me to have joy, but I want you to have joy. I want to continue living here on this world so that as I live, your joy may also increase and that Jesus Christ may be exalted. And the question then we need to think about this morning is, is your life, is your life characterized by joy? 
And as we think about this as those who follow Jesus Christ, is your Christian life characterized by joy? See, too often I think we think of Christianity even as a set of rules, things that we need to do, that Christianity is somehow just an obedience lesson. But John Piper, the theologian, he said this in regard to it. He said, and these words are stark, he says, you go to hell if you don't find happiness in Jesus. We're not playing games here, he said. Joy is not like the icing on a cake. It's not just about obedience and rule-keeping. It's not just follow these rules and you go to heaven, he says. No, you, only if you love your Lord Jesus Christ, your Savior, and find joy in Him alone will you go to heaven. The core demand of the Bible, the central truth in God's Word, is that Jesus Christ and following Him as Savior is important, but we also need to treasure Him and to love Him, and to find deep satisfaction in serving our Lord. And that gives all of us work to do this week ahead. It's important for all of us here to realize that while we're given life, while there's a fight in front of us, while there's a race to be won, we need to fix our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ and run with joy. It reminds you of the words from the book of Hebrews chapter 12. The two, first two verses of Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross scorning its shame, and, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We all have a race to run. We all have a life before us to live. And we're only going to find joy in this life when we do so, knowing that we do it to God's honor and to God's glory. So let's run well. Let's run with our knees up and chest out, striding forward with all our energy, Let's not limp to the line, but continue in all that we do to make sure that Christ is glorified through our life. And let others see your joy. Paul says, I want joy, but I want you to have joy. And maybe that's what we need to do too, ensure that others around us experience that joy. Let our joy be a blessing to those around us, so they also too may praise the Lord Jesus Christ for His work. That brings us to our second point. The joy of, of being with Christ in death. Paul said in verse 21, To live is Christ, and to die is gain. The great preacher Dwight Moody once said, and I quote, Someday, someday you will read in the papers that D.L. Moody of, northeast, of East Northfield is dead, he said. One day you will read that Moody is dead. Don't believe a word of it, he says. At that moment, I shall be more alive than I am now. I shall have gone up higher, that is all, gone out of this old clay tent into a house that is immortal, a body that death cannot touch, where sin cannot taint, 
a body like unto his own glorious body. That's a mood, he said. The day I die, don't grieve, he said. I've just gone up high to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't believe a word of my death. And I'm sure if our dear sister Rose Rogers was here, she would probably say the same thing. And that's our hope and prayer. That's our confidence. That though, though we read in the paper that she's passed away, we don't believe it. For we know that at that moment, she is with Jesus Christ. She is with her Savior at that moment. And so for Paul, life and death was a, was a win-win scenario. To live, he says, is to work for Christ. To see my Savior exalted through my work. But through death, he says, death is gain. And how? How can death be a gain? How could such an enemy as death be a gain for Paul? Well, Paul tells us in verse 23, he says, I'm torn between two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, he says, which is by far better. So for Paul, death meant to be with Christ. And for him, that was the ultimate gain, to be in the presence of your Lord Jesus Christ. Paul fully expected that the moment he passed on from this world, that he will stand unashamedly before the faultless, before the throne of God. And he said that in the readings that we had from 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy 4 verse 7, he says that, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, he says, I've kept the faith. Now, he says, now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And he says, not only to me, but to all who have longed for his appearing. They knew the words of Jesus Christ in John 11. Even if you die, you will live. And for all those that are united to Jesus Christ, for all those that confess Jesus Christ as their only hope and Savior, death has lost its sting. Oh yes, death hurts. And there's grief and there's sorrow. But death doesn't have the ultimate victory, for we know. We know that Jesus Christ has conquered the grave and, and through His death we have our loved ones seated the presence of God. And for Paul, that meant death was better. For Paul, death meant that he left everything behind in this life that we don't need. We leave behind in this life the world, the flesh, temptations, and the devil. When we pass on into glory, we leave behind our trials in this life. The temptations, the struggles, the tears, the fears that we wrestle with. But not only do we lose things when we leave this world, we also have an immeasurable gain. We get heaven. We get to be with our Lord Jesus Christ. We get to be together with all the saints, glorifying and praising our Savior. That's the amazing gain that Paul says he gets through death. And again, as I was preparing the sermon and listening to Rogers Rogers' testimony, I was struck again. She says, I'm not afraid to die. I've got no more fear about dying. She said, I'm ready to meet the Lord. She understood well that death was gain. She understood, as we read in 2 Timothy chapter 2, that if we died with Him, we will also live with Him. 
that if we endure with Him, we will also reign with Him. That's the truth that Paul wants to teach the Philippians. That's the truth that we hold on to here this morning. For all those that struggle and grieve, but those that have passed on, we have the Holy Spirit working in us, convicting us and, and encouraging us and strengthening us through God's Word. And we read in Lord's Day 1, one of our confessional documents, the first question and answer the very first thing that our confessional document opens with is, what's your only comfort in life and in death? What's the one thing that's going to bring you joy? Well, the answer says that we're not our own, that we belong to Jesus Christ, our faithful Savior, in life and in death. We belong to Him. And the Spirit assures us every day again and makes us willing and ready to live for Him. So for Paul, the Apostle Paul, and, and for Moody, and for Rose, and for all those who confess the Lord Jesus Christ, death is simply a gateway into something far, far better. It's a gateway to be in the presence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Paul says, for me, that's, that's great joy. Now we turn to our third point, the joy of witnessing for Christ in suffering. Paul gives us an example of what it's like to suffer, what it is to live for Jesus Christ and to die with joy. We see that in the opening verses of our text in verses 12 and 13 and following. Paul says there, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually turned to serve to advance the gospel. As a result, he says in verse 13, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Paul was in chains and experienced in beating. He was unable to go where he wanted to, to bring God's Word. And yet somehow, Paul says, astonishingly, against all odds, they thought me, they locked me up, and it has served to advance the gospel, Paul says. This is surprising. Paul in chains didn't end the partnership with the Philippians. It continued the partnership with the Philippians in a different way, Paul says. God is in control. God is the one directing all things. God is the one using even the suffering for good. And Paul says in, in 2 Timothy chapter 2 again, it's a similar, the book of Timothy was written in a similar context, so the similar themes come through. And in 2 Timothy chapter 2 verses 8 and 9, we see the same words, a similar theme. This is my gospel, he says, 2 Timothy 2 verse 8. This is my gospel for which I'm suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But, he says... God's Word is, is not chained. Here's Paul. We read in Acts chapter 26, I think it is. Paul chained to a guard. And Paul says, you know what? That's an opportunity for witness to the guard. Paul says he, in these verses that he, the whole praetorium, the whole guard, the 9,000 men knew that Paul was in chains for Christ. Imagine that. Paul stuck in a jail and yet 9,000 people knew why he was there. And if you continue reading Paul's account in Acts 28, even the Jews, the local leaders, came to Paul and were converted while he was in the jail cell. Here's Paul on the one hand suffering with chains, and yet witnessing of God's glory to those around him. 
And then in verse 14, he continues and he says, And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. You see, Paul's chains also had an effect on the church. The church became emboldened. The church became more and more daring. Here's Paul put in prison for preaching the word. And copycat criminals have popped up everywhere doing exactly what Paul was doing. Paul says, I can't reach the nations because I'm in chains. But it's through my suffering that others are emboldened to go out and to continue to preach the news. The Gentiles will hear of God's grace, even though Paul is in chains and suffering. And Paul says, that brings me great joy. Yes, I'm in chains and I'm struggling. But Christ's name is being exalted by those around me. Paul knew that God does not work in spite of suffering, but God works through the suffering in our lives. And God does all to His honor and to His glory. And so this morning, as we conclude this message, we need to remember that Christ, Christ is glorified in us when He is more precious to me, when He's more precious to you than anything that life can give and, and to anything that death can take. If that's true for you, if Christ is more important than whatever life gives and whatever death takes, then indeed Christ will be magnified in your body. Corey ten Boom in the concentration camp. I love Corey. Corey ten Boom in the concentration camp. She realized God's purpose of her suffering also was to point others to Jesus Christ. And she said there in her book, she said, God has brought me here. God brought me into this place of suffering. God brought me into this concentration camp here for a specific task. I was here to lead the sorrowing and the despairing to the Savior. I was to point the way to heaven to people among whom there were many who would soon be dying. Corey realized that even in the moment of suffering and grief, with tears in her eyes, she said, it's my job here to point others to the Savior, Jesus Christ. And so suffering can also be a joy. That we grieve with tears in our eyes, we can have joy, knowing that we serve our Lord Jesus Christ. And so suffering is also a privilege. It's a privilege to bring glory to a Heavenly Father for the love and the grace that He shows to all of us. And so let this be an encouragement to us this morning. Let's also make this our aim, that Christ is glorified in us so that in all that life has and all that death can take from us, Christ is magnified, that Christ is exalted. Let me close with these words from this hymn which we're about to sing. Unto the grave, what will we sing? Christ, He lives. Christ, He lives. And what reward will heaven bring? Everlasting life with Him. And we will rise to meet the Lord. And then sin and death will be destroyed. And we will feast into endless joy. When Christ is ours forevermore. Oh, sing hallelujah, our hope springs eternal. Oh, sing hallelujah, now and ever we confess Christ. Christ is our hope in life and in death. Let's pray together.
Heavenly God, we come here this morning knowing that there's some of us who are enjoying life and others who are struggling with the reality of death, of loved ones, of friends, perhaps even those in the womb. Lord, we realize and we recognize this morning that you are a God of life. And we thank you this morning that we can be confident and assured that even in life, even in death and after death, through our suffering, you are a God who's always in control. And so we pray that you will help us to have joy. Help us to have, through the weeping in our eyes and the sorrow in our heart, help us to have a joy which rests in the confidence that you love us, that you know what's best for us. And help us to have joy knowing that you are the God in whom that we rejoice, in whom we give praise. Bless us now, we pray, and hear our prayer in Jesus' name alone. Amen.